On this episode of Slashers, Jake does Kegels while Brian talks about one of his favorite movies of all time. Then Jake bores the hell out of you talking about the unnecessary remake. Be sure to stay tuned until the end of the episode for a track from Buzzard Cult. Nothing says date movie like a 3D ride to hell. Or is it there's more than one way to lose your heart? Or is it this is Slashing Podcast, a podcast about movies and more for those who love horror. My name is Jake and with me as always is my esteemed colleague, co-host and cohort, Brian. Brian, say hello to the mutant goons from beyond. What's going on? Did you see Topher Grace? It was awesome. Mike Pence entered Wisconsin and they used that 70s show. Hello, Wisconsin. And Topher Grace retweeted and just put, nope. Oh, that's good. You got to love when a guy played David Duke and he's like, nope. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to go ahead and drop this little nugget. Nope. I feel like it should be Pam from Archer. Nope. (laughs) So, Brian, how are you? Not too bad, man. Not too bad. You feeling festive? You gonna give your lady some Valentine hearts, kisses, mm. and squirtles of sputum and semen on the body? <laughs> I'm gonna give her some meat inside of a heart-shaped box. Oh, God! That's exactly <laughs> what happens in both of these films. It's true. It's damn true. So, for those of you who haven't caught on, we're doing two movies this week That's in right. honor of the most sensual of holidays it's definitely one of the most iconic valentine's day movies right it's awesome i think it's the only one maybe or is there a few there's a few but this this is the most most iconic iconic, i guess for sure yeah so this month we're obviously having at least a a somewhat sensual theme with candy man i mean you know you give some candies give some smoochy smooches then we have my bloody valentine 1981 which brian will be walking us through and 2009 which i will be walking you through then later on this month stay tuned because we have some more seductive pleasantries to spill out of our mouths it's very titillating Ooh, nice. <laughs> so this is basically, if your Spotify is not working, you can't get the Barry White on, pop us in. Oh, man. Guaranteed to get you late. Pop us in and then pop one in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or two. You know what? You choose a whole <laughs> fist. Start with the fist and work your way down, I there always you say. Go. Nobody likes a quitter. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. So, Brian, had you ever seen My Bloody Valentine before? I had not. Okay. It took everything in me not to squeal with glee. When I was like, oh, you know, why don't you just do 1981, you know, get whatever impressions you have and we'll talk about it. Because like, because <laughs> you knew damn well how I would probably react. All at the same time, there have been some movies where you're like, I can't wait for Brian to see this movie. And then I shit all over it. Exactly. This movie. <laughs> A lot shed. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> I got to say top three favorite slasher films of all time. I I, like this movie better than all of the Chuckies, all of the Freddies, most of the Friday the 13th. I'm going to say it's at least tied for Halloween with me. And that's obviously with the caveats of like, yeah, it came later and it had more stuff to do. So Halloween always gets kind of a pass because it's pioneering in that regard. But I mean, it's on par. Like you can take your history aside. This is so fun. Yeah, absolutely. And what's great about it is the storyline is so minute. 
but you don't need it to have like a crazy storyline, right? Like there doesn't need to be an insane backstory. They just need to shove a a little bit of a backstory with some blood and guts and I'm totally appeased. Yeah, I've had a lot of people online be like, oh, it's a stupid plot twist. Who cares? Are you watching the movie for the plot twist? Are you watching (laughs) it to see somebody get ganked through the face? Because I'll be honest with you, I totally see how this quote-unquote twist in the first one is frustrating to people it isn't set up very well it doesn't make a lot of sense until the very end but and then at the very end they're adding information you didn't have before so it's not really a twist is it it's just like an unveiling more right right it's like the original scream like essentially you're like oh what a twist i had no idea this was the killer exactly versus this it's like the twist is there's two killers which that's how you've always had a guy getting out of jail free whereas the twist in this is like oh we just didn't tell you (laughs) <laughs> you know? Oh, we forgot to leave that uh, <gasps> that little Fuck. tidbit. My bad. Whoops. Well, let's just throw this in at the very end and ta-da. We're all good. <laughs> but yeah, it's I totally understand that frustration. I got to tell you, though, for it being a 1981 film, I wasn't having high expectations going into it. Yeah. Knocked it out of the park. Absolutely. And I'm not just trying to, you know kiss your ass or anything because as much as I like to look at Jake's squeal with glee at how awesome a movie is and try and sell me on it, I fully agree with your take on this movie. Obviously, I feel like maybe we're jumping ahead as far as if we like it and we're going to call it a classic, tragic, whatever. If you haven't guessed, it's going to be a classic for me. I dare posit that this is the new classic champion for this year for me. Mm. So that would at this point, it's Tucker and Dale versus Evil, which is a very competent movie. I like it a lot, but this is like my perfect brand of slasher. Yeah, it's like definitely the, something to think about. The effects are there, the character designs there, the character developments there. It's campy, and we have some. We have a fucking jammer of a song that we listened to oh, man. four times before we started recording. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny because. At the end of the movie, I hear the laughing. I'm jumping fucking way ahead like usual, but you hear the laughing. Well, you're starting and then, your rendition at the very end of the film. And then, <laughs> right? Fucking Tarantino this shit. You didn't really need to go in and watch anything else, right? Because it's just credits. Yeah. So I'm just like, okay, power off. And I had no idea until I started doing the notes for the film. And then there was multiple people talking about how great the ballad was. And then we both listened to it for the first time and... It's a glory to behold. Yeah, lyrically, it's great. I mean, it's just it's really well composed. And I hadn't seen this movie in a long time. I was telling my wife because I got so excited about this. I was like, I must have forgotten. Or maybe as a kid, I confused parts of Prowler with this. Because if you know, the killer in Prowler also has a gas mask attached to his face. But it's like a World War II costume and he uses a pitchfork. So I think maybe my brain just kind of transposed the two because of the breathing contraption. I mean, they're both very similar, if you think about it. For they're sure. both wearing gas masks, and they're both using these pick-like items that you use for some kind of fucking work in the backyard. Just tools, yeah. <laughs> you know, but that's I always love that in horror movies where it's just something so accessible. Yeah, you know absolutely. what I mean. Like when you think about how fragile humans are, we live in a perilous circumstance. Right. I chopped. A significant chunk, a nipple-sized chunk of my body <laughs> off using a mandolin, and yep. that took no effort. Imagine what the could amount happen of if blood that came out. It was gnar. It was pretty crazy. Yeah, it's gross. <laughs> but it's healed mostly. I have a square fingertip. It's no big deal. Yeah. But literally, I realized after I threw it in the trash, it's like that's a nipple-sized piece <laughs> of skin. I've seen nipples way smaller than that. It's interesting and. 
there's gratification in watching a movie where you can insert yourself as the killer and having accessible weapons. Oh, yeah. Right. So you're like, okay, I can totally see myself with a pickaxe myrtleizing people because it's super accessible. Like you you said. Do you remember that game State of Emergency that Rockstar Games put out where basically you just killed innocent people? I don't recall. I mean, I remember something similar to that. It was almost like The Purge. Yeah, very similar. Where you have these different scenes set up where you have to kill people in a certain way. Exactly. That's, That's so crazy game. that that game actually came out. Crazy, right? I don't know if they would even come out with something like that nowadays. You'd hope not. But my point is, when you think about, like you're saying, that everything can be a weapon, it kind of reminds me of that. Yeah, just, absolutely. The killer in this one and in the remake just goes hog wild, which is kind of cool because having a high body count in two different ways because you have like the finding the person dead and you have the stalking the person. It has a lot of different styles of slasher yep. in the one movie. Absolutely. So Brian, That's another great point. let's get into it because we're doing two movies. Uno, dos. Yeah, I hope you guys are buckled in. Here we go. So let's start out with the 1981 film, My Bloody Valentine, the OG version. Uh, I'll start out with just a little bit of trivia here. Going into trivia, you have in an interview with TerrorTrap.com, director George Mahalka, if I want to say that correctly. I probably Mahalka, Hulka, burning love. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Said that the shooting location at Sydney Mines, Nova Scotia was chosen because it's rustic atmospheric appearance. However, when the locals found out that a movie was to be shot there, they decided to spend 50 grand to have the mine painted and cleaned. This, of course, diminished the reason that the production wanted the location to begin with. <laughs> oh, that's so awkward. Could you fucking imagine? <laughs> that's like when somebody goes to Antique Roadshow and they're like, hey, I cleaned this gun. I'm like, the patina is the only thing that made this worth anything, <laughs> you fucking idiots. Yeah, yeah. That's, it's, so, it's so funny how growing up, you watch those and as a kid you're like oh my god all the shiny things got to be worth all this money and then as you get you know older in life and you learn that as yourself gets older you get better with age so do items <laughs> yeah so like the truck or the car the camaro you know it's completely damaged interior but like otherwise like completely like an amazing car, they're like, you know what? I would much rather have that ripped up fabric on the inside because I know nobody else has touched it than have this like completely restored car. Exactly. And it's almost, it seems like these like car builders, they're like the the snooty like elitists that like look at all these people that spend all this money on like the restoration. And they're like, look at these fuck boys, like totally like making it look like you got it right off the factory line. Like, yeah, you're just a fucking poser. Have you ever watched Rust Valley Restorations? I haven't. But it's my favorite reality TV show aside from Face Off of all time. It's these Canadian dudes who live in like a valley. And this dude has spent like $10 million on this restoration facility. And it's just a bunch of rusty shit cars. And he's got dirty dreadlocks and he never wants to sell them. And he just eats like raw rhubarb. And it's just <laughs> weird. And I love it. That's cool. That's that's interesting. It has think- nothing to do with this movie. So let's get on topic, Brian. <laughs> so Mahalka said that $75,000 of the film's budget then went into returning the mine back to its original state. Could you imagine how frustrated you'd be? I mean, you, you have to imagine that they had to have hidden the figures, right? They're not yeah. going to let that out, right? They're not going to be like, oh, hey, thanks so much for doing all of this. Did you find budgetary just, information on the first one? Uh, Yeah, just a little bit. They're essentially jumping back down here. Let me see. 
budget was two million three hundred thousand Canadian dollars. Okay, which I'm not exactly sure what that translates to U.S. currency. So I mean, just the fact that a good portion of their budget right off the bat went into transforming the scene or the setting back to what they originally intended. It's got to be a little frustrating. The film was shot in authentic mines, which were often as much as 900 feet underground. How fucking gnarly is that? I'd be a little, I'd be tripping balls. Yeah. I mean, I'm not claustrophobic really, but th- just the thought of having 900 feet of fucking material on top of me sounds terrifying. So I calculated it's a dollar 16 for every or excuse me, a dollar sixteen Canadian for every dollar U.S. So it's kind of nominal, but I guess when huh. you get to the millions of figures, though, that sixteen cent different really. Right, right. Up, interesting, but. interesting. The folk ballad that plays over the ending credits was added by composer Paul Zaza. Zaza, <laughs> I love it. As an afterthought, the uncredited singer who does the vocal for the ballad was Scottish Canadian tenor John McDermott. The more you know. I tip my hat to John. That's it. The hat that I am not wearing. I'm going to fucking rock that shit on the way back up the mountain. But the hat, if I was wearing a hat that I tipped, would have a lamp on it. (laughs) I would have a gas mask underneath it. There you go. And a pickaxe in Brian's jaw. Hey, come on now. According to makeup and effects artist Thomas R. Berman, one of his gory creations was realistic enough that director George Mahalka threw up at the side of it. Ew, sticky. (laughs) Come on, dude. You're directing a horror film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like the guy that like has like this amazing thought process on this gory film, but he's like, you know what? I'm gonna be in my trailer the entire time. Tell me how it goes. Yeah, right. <laughs> or a taxidermist who's also against like fur. <laughs> That's a good one. I like it. I like it. As the director has stated many times, roughly nine minutes of footage had been cut from My Bloody Valentine to secure an R rating instead of an X rating by the MPAA. In result, most of it if not all gory scenes had been cut by the MPAA because of the backlash against Friday the 13th and also John Lennon's murder, which kind of sucks. If you watch the version that I put that we all watched, you can see the footage is drastically different. Yes. When it comes to it, it almost looked like the first couple of minutes I was like, is this like a filter that I don't remember or something weird? And I was like, oh, fuck, this was all cut out. This is the unedited version. And yeah. So or I guess it's re-edited. They took a bunch yeah, of found footage true. and put that's it true. into this remastered film. Yeah, so this would technically be the 2009 special edition. It is. Yeah. yeah. Worth every butt fucking penny. Right. If exactly. you have a choice, there is no choice. In 2009, a special edition of the film was released with the most most of the gory footage put back into the film. The only footage missing is the on-screen impalement of Michael and Harriet, which honestly, eh. I mean, uh, I liked it because I was like, oh man, he they both literally were screwing and they got impaled by a giant screw. Which is so, fun. Yeah. Yeah. But also, you know, it kind of goes to Halloween. Like, the house of horrors when you stumble on the body is still kind of a classic trope. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And also, the two lovers impaled. I mean, it's been done on Friday the 13th. Another one of the shots that they ended up putting back into the film was when John discovers Sylvia's corpse. There was originally supposed to be a shot of the water coming through Sylvia's mouth that turns blood red. Which would be fucking sweet, right? I really like that idea. Yeah, absolutely. I was hoping it would happen, and the money shot never came. Even though a still of Sylvia's can be seen online with a very fake-looking dummy. So apparently, you can still kind of rummage around and find some old deleted scenes, which I really wish there was a way to come up with this deleted scenes from Event Horizon, right? If somehow somebody was just like, oh, hey, here's this random film laying here. Wonder what's in here. And it's just like the deleted scene of all of the fucking crazy demons and like cannibalistic orgy going on. 
Remember? Hell yeah. Horizon? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. That was what seventeen hours worth of footage turned into like one little hiccuping, <laughs> right? Exactly, uh, like a, a fucking seizure, <laughs> a bay of blood. God damn it! Ah, uh, there it is. <laughs> I hope you cut all the other bullshit out. So <laughs> I just get to sound right. It's a bay of blood. I knew it. Okay, so don't correct me. Despite six minutes of footage remaining missing, George Mahalka said that those six minutes were only expository footage like character development and non-violent scenes who gives a shit exactly that's i think that i actually like that in both films there's not a whole lot of fat to trim a lot more in the second one oh okay but the first one i mean really all the stuff that's expository feels almost like animal house it's fun and kind of like capricious and i don't know like i gotta love that extra cheeky shit that's thrown in there because it's not overdone yeah, so. and, and where it is over the top, it's like fun over the top. You know right, what I mean? Like right. it's a kind of endearing. Like Hollis. Hollis is a dumb character who in any other film I would be rooting to die and be like disemboweled. But in this <laughs> movie, I was like, oh, Hollis. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I got a fun nickname for him. So Ooh. we'll see. George says that 93 minute version is 80 to 85% of how it was meant to be. And it's the way the movie was meant to be seen, even despite the grainy quality of the cut footage. I actually don't mind it. I kind of wish that the rest of the film looked like that. It's yeah. It's kind of a yeah, cool style. It's kind of neat. Right. One of the makeup designers once shipped a dummy corpse to the set in a coffin, which caused much alarm when it arrived at Canadian Customs. Oh, God. Could you imagine? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, I'm sorry. Boy. I can't let you oh, in with that. Oh, boy. Don't you know? Why do I sound like Bobby's mom? <laughs> you got Bobby's baby, world? don't you know? <laughs> Howie Mandel. We ready to go into statistics? You know, I guess so. It's going to be very hard for me to let go and let somebody else do statistics, but I have I have my <laughs> turn coming. Don't worry. That's right. So the budget for the film was 2,300,000 Canadian dollars, which estimated, I believe we what was it about 1.6 or some shit like that? 1.6 million US. Hard please. Wait. No. Hold on. <laughs> do we fuck that up? I had to divide by 1.16. So it's uh, 1,982,758. Oh, okay. That was pretty close. In pretty 1980s money. So right, I mean, it, right. really, it's not a bad. And it grossed $5,672,000. So that's good. That's pretty good. I don't fucking understand how there weren't 50 of both of these films. Because when we get to my stupid statistics, it's going to blow your <laughs> butt fucking mind out of your brain. Right, right. Considering all of the other movies that people make nonstop right. sequels for, and you're like, why? What? How many Jeepers Creepers are there? The only thing I can think of is they just initiated that like long-term contract yeah. right off the bat. And they're just like, it doesn't matter how shitty this is. I got another four coming. Right. So. <laughs> how many people can make the same wrong turn? It's called Google Maps, <laughs> motherfucker. Well, here's the thing. If I make a left turn, then I make another left turn, then I make another left turn. I'm back where I started. So... <laughs> Opening weekend was February 11th, 1981. The competition, The Dogs of War, The Last Metro. So not really that great of competition. Uh, in April, there was The Howling and Friday Ooh. the 13th Part 2. Yeah. So that's actually where you get your Bay of Blood. How funny is that? There you go. Because it's the it's Sackhead Jason who does the ripoff. Oh, okay. Got yeah. it. Got it. So directed by George Mahalka, he started out with The Rubber Gun which was about a communal drug family begins to dissolve from within while a university student watches and records it all. Kind of sounds interesting. I actually am kind of down for that. <laughs> Came out in 1977. So, I mean, sounds pretty rugged. 
Then you have Stone Cold Dead, which came out in 1979. Sergeant Boyd's police search to find a sniper who has been shooting hookers. Wait, you're saying, <laughs> hold on. I won't stand for this kind of slander. You're saying that Stone Cold Steve Austin was a hooker? <laughs> Sorry, dude. Give me a hell no. Hell no. Nah. <laughs> As I slam together two fucking iced teas. <laughs> Woo. Do we know how to party in this garage studio or what? And then you have before, right before he came out with My Bloody Valentine, you have Pick Up Summer, which came out in 1980. It's a summer of fun for two teenage boys who spend their time chasing two sisters, annoying a biker gang, and basically getting into typical sophomoric hijinks whenever they can. That's Sounds awesome. like a typical 80s movie, which is pretty great. Yeah, he was a big fan of Black Christmas from what I saw. He like directed, I don't know if it was like a mini documentary. Oh, uh, you know like what? I think I saw that. I think it was like a little, yeah, docu. But so. it's cool. Like It's nice to see a guy who's a connoisseur of the craft. Right, right, right. It was written by John Beard. Literally, the only thing he's ever done was the original and the remake. <laughs> <laughs> which he didn't even work on the remake. They just took his they, story, which it wasn't his story. Isn't that funny? It's Stephen A. Miller's story. Oh, so it was Beard. Stephen A. Miller's story. Okay. Yeah. okay. So basically that means it's Stephen A. Miller is like, hey, I'm too fucking busy to write this. Here's an idea. You figure, flesh Got it out it. for so me. So I was confused on that because they were both Stephen A. Miller. It was referencing both yeah. Stephen A. Miller and John Beard. So apparently it was just like a reference off of Stephen Miller. Exactly. Okay. Uh, produced by Larry Nassis. And the only thing that came up really kind of relevance was heavy metal that he did in 1981, which is fucking awesome. Great. Yeah, holds exactly. up hard. <laughs> One of the few films I even bother with Blu-ray for. And you also have John Dunning, who did Meatballs in 1980. Hey, exactly. Classic, classic. Music is by Paul Zaza, which we had talked about earlier. Can we Paul. talk about spiritual successors really quick? Zaza. Heavyweights, meatballs. That's a great. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's a sweet little segue there. I mean, you can imagine like the filler in between. Yeah. Yeah. Let's all go to the lobby. That's that's your double feature, right? Because you're being a fat kid. So you watch. You got dancing candies and hot dogs and popcorn and shit. Then you have Ben Stiller with six pack abs. (laughs) Dude, that's going to be my kind of party pretty soon, man. Dude, keep intermittent fasting, dude. I ate like shit today. (laughs) I did too, though. I got to tell you, my stomach fucking hates me. I had a burger and fries, and then I had sweet potato fries later, jackfruit sandwich. Oh, and an entire bag of vegan Takis. Yeah, that's pretty good, man. I feel like your butthole is going to be loving that later. It goes right through. Food <laughs> processor, remember it. So music by Paul Zaza. Zaza. The soundtrack to My Bloody Valentine was mostly by Paul Zaza and Canadian country singer Mary Bot- Batrell. Although Paul Zaza has claimed to have all of the original soundtrack with him, including the folk rock songs and the Ballad of Harry Warden by John McDermott, he has never released it for sale despite a number of fans of the film requesting that he do so. I'd say I'm demanding it. I am going to <laughs> Are go. Are you going to be writing him like a stern letter? I'm going to go to a federal bank with a shotgun and hold everybody <laughs> hostage and be like, "Excuse me," and they're going to be like, "How much money do you want?" I'm like, I don't want your. Petty I want money. this goddamn ballad. I want it on an LP, bitch. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Don't you know who I am? That's really crazy. In several interviews, he has stated that even though he has copies of the soundtrack, there isn't a large enough number of interested buyers to make it worth putting out on vinyl. Obviously, he hasn't met us. Yeah, no, I buy four <laughs> of them. Mary Betrayal released her recorded songs from the film for sale on an album called The Star. 
The Ballad of Harry Warden is available on a number of video sites copied from the ending credits of the film's DVD release, which is something that I feel like we would do. Yeah. <laughs> no shame there. I don't know. Uh, makeup is done by Thomas R. Berman. He had done Invasion of the Body Snatchers, 1978. He did Scrooge in 1988 and Halloween 3 Season of the Witch in 1982. Love them all. Yep. Those absolutely. are all fun movies. Chad likes to give me shit about liking Season of the Witch, but it's... It's still a great movie. It's got good concepts. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it holds its own. From the other obvious films, it has its own unique way of portraying the Halloween genre. There you go. That's fair. Yeah. So with Ken Diaz is the next guy that I'm going to talk about with makeup. He did a little movie called The Thing. Well, I never heard of that. Wee. Fright Night, good. Spaceballs, Casino, and Heat. Some of a few that he's done. So. Good, 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 and good. Right. Absolutely. So these guys know what the fuck they're doing. Now on to dick names. Snick names. Brick names. Beep, 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 beep. Nicknames. First, we'll start with Paul Kelman. As, oh, yeah, that game doesn't work when it's just two of us, huh? Yeah, well. We need an abbreviated version of we, it. like, bounce it back and forth. It's all right. Well, we'll work on it. Paul Kelman as TJ. We have TJ, right? You have anything for TJ? I would have called him Fred because uh, TJ wears an ascot like Fred does from Scooby-Doo. There you go. We're playing on the same thing It's the same thing here because I got ne- Neckerchief. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> it's it's, kind of, a mouth, it's kind of a mouthful, but my God, all you do when you watch the film is you're just like... Is he really still wearing that? No, 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 no. It's, 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 it's way worse because he literally puts on an entire miner's outfit. With it. But it's not like he's wearing it to guard his neck because he never zips up the jacket because you have to see the neckerchief the whole time. It's like, so I could bad. understand if it was it an under, so like a condom, so you don't chafe your little necky wecky. But this guy's just like, you got to see. Yep. I went to Hollywood, <laughs> as you can tell. Oh, naturally, you're from the West Coast. I can see your kerchief. Yeah, he's the guy that everybody made fun of in the mine, for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Remember that scene from Zoolander? I think I got the black lung pop. Oh, that's <laughs> it. Absolutely. That would be him. It is. Yep. He quits and goes, yep. Him with his fucking witch hazel and like 7,000 <laughs> cotton balls. You have Neil Affleck as Axel. I like to call him Boy Toy. I can dig it. Because he basically gets used. Yeah. Abused. <laughs> also, I do the nicknames. This is weird because I was having a little bit of conflict earlier. Oh, yeah. Where I'm like, I want to give them nicknames based off of like the ending of the movie. Yeah. It's and fun. then you're like, oh, it's hard. I don't want to do that because I don't want to give anything away. Same and thing with mine. So, yeah. So let's go back to Paul Kelman. He literally, I'm going to just briefly go over what they did as far as film wise after the fact. Sure. So, Paul Kelman. <laughs> Didn't do a whole lot. He didn't show up in anything of relevance. The only thing I, ca- I could come up with is that he came- He was in a film called Mullet. Did he wear a kerchief? Because I don't care if he did. I don't know, man. I, I don't, don't, know. don't mention the movie to me unless you can show me definitive photographic Fair proof. Enough. Fair enough. You're a little hostile there, but... Okay. I am. I'm attached to it now. Okay? It's stupid and I hate it, but it's part of me. Fair enough. My psyche hinges on it. If you take that kerchief from me, I can't be responsible <laughs> for what I do in a miner's outfit with a pickaxe. Because the only thing separating him from the Harry Warren wannabe is that fucking kerchief. <laughs> I like it. I like it. So then you have Neil Affleck as Axel. Again, he's boy toy. He did scanners and then a ton of cartoon voiceover work. Really cool. Which is kind of neat. Yeah, absolutely. That's so, what you could do when your face goes like Mark Hamill's <laughs> did, right? Exactly, exactly. You have Lori Hallier as Sarah Palmer. I'm going to call her two for one or twofer. Okay. I could dig it. <laughs> she had a little menage a trois going on there. i call her the Lucky Pierre. <laughs> she was in Star Trek Voyager. I don't know if you caught that one. Yeah. 
RoboCop. Yeah. Friday the thirteenth, the series. No. <laughs> it's gonna be a hard pass for me, my friend. But right. I saw Friday the thirteenth. I was like, oh, that's really cool. What ca-? no, the series. Never mind. There goes my <laughs> half an erection. <laughs> yeah, Alpha Humphreys as Howard. I'm gonna call him Try Hard. Okay, I can dig that. Because he wants to be the funny guy yeah. nonstop. He just with a spoof of the spaghetti sauce on his head and nonstop like, okay, I got a fun joke, this or that. So what, do you have anything? No, that's a perfect one. Okay. All right. So then you have Cynthia Dale as Patty. I don't have anything for her. She's sweet. I like that. Do you have any nickname for her? Not Nothing really. comes to mind. The Widow because Hollis dies. Yeah. Well, she dies too. But yeah, but Hollis dies first. That, that's true. Because she's like so heartbroken. It's sad. But I Yeah, like it, it really is sad. Yeah. I don't know. I got nothing. Well, she was in, let's see. She was in Street Legal, which is like a really long running uh, legal show, I guess, on TV. I've oh. never heard of it. Have you? I would have thought it had to do with street racing. I have no idea what that is. <laughs> and then she was in Moonstruck. Which, you know, I mean, it's a it's a fun movie. It's a living. Right. She's just like a garbage disposal at the Flintstones. <laughs> uh, there you go. You have Keith Knight as Hollis. MVP, dude. What's your nickname? I wanted to call him John Candy, but... I'm calling him Young Buck. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> is that good? Dude. Is that good? Distracting, right? Yes, absolutely. Like, I'm like, this is John Candy as a college kid. With a great mustache. <laughs> I usually hate those kinds of mustaches, but I was like, it works. It's so great that we were thinking the same thing. Oh, Twinsies. So good. All right. Next, you have... Okay, so let's talk about Keith Knight really quickly. He appeared at the Shaw Festival in Ontario and was working in summer stock when he was signed for his first movie role in Meatballs. Oh, perfect. During the filming of a hot dog eating contest in the movie, he ate more than 100 hot dogs. What? <laughs> Dude, can we talk about this? That Like the Nathan's hot dog eating contest is the best thing about the entire summer. It's the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. And I it love is it. the most revolting thing I think I've ever seen. I love it. I absolutely, I was mesmerized. Watching that actually makes me want to go vegan. <laughs> yeah dude it's more horrifying than any show we've ever done on there i'm not even gonna lie it is really bad and all of the guys that win are oddly like our body shape which does not make sense nope i'm like wait what where does it all go i feel like they're all secretly hank pym and they're shrinking the hot dogs in their stomach with pym particles <laughs> i can't prove it but it's my theory i like it i like it it's my thesis so you have helene udi as sylvia if you recall she's the one that gets in the shower yeah, I got, I'm gonna call her Farrah Fawcett. Okay, F A U C E T. I love it. I got it. Yeah. I thank you for spelling it for everybody else. But I, I like to. I could tell that there was a, a gag there because of the way you smile. So I'm like, it's perfect. There you go. She was actually in Doctor Quinn, Medicine Woman. So there's that. <laughs> yeah, Patricia Hamilton as Mabel. Poor old Mabel. Hmm. You have anything for Mabel? Uh, yeah, I just kind of want to call her like tumble dry or whatever. <laughs> oh, uh, what's that cute little bear from the? Bounty commercials or whatever. You know what I'm talking about? Snuggles. Uh, oh, snuggles. snuggles. There you go. That's good. She's such a little that's lovable good. old lady. Mine? Die cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> Is that good? Yeah. I like it. I mean, it's, you know, dry cleaner, obviously, play play on words there. But she was in Anne of Green Gables. I can't imagine her be playing in Anna Green Gables, but apparently she was in a lot of those. So. Green Gables. Hey, the- you do you, boo. <laughs> Majority of these actors shared screen time at one point or another on Street Legal. So Weird. that's kind of cool. They all kind of merged together and was were on like a long standing like lawyer show. That's I odd. guess it's like a Canadian 
I'm assuming sense. some kind of Canadian lawyer show. Fun fact, I don't watch anything with attorneys in it. <laughs> People are always like, you should watch Suits. You mean to tell me you don't watch Birdman? No, actually, I, I mean, I watched a few episodes, but they were so good. I like liked Space them. Ghost Coast to Coast and stuff like that. I really love all that shit. Fucking I, Brack. Yo, <laughs> I, Brack is probably my favorite. <laughs> He's so good. One of my favorite. To this day, anytime somebody asks me what game I'm playing or anything like that, I'm always, or like what I'm doing. Every time I want to respond, playing head kicker. <laughs> and then I imagine like a creepy mantis brother be like, I'm playing. You're getting a red oh, ass beat that's down. so good. That's so good. Brings you back to childhood. Dude. I like it. Ready for some recapitation? Yes. Here we go. A decades old folk tale surrounding a deranged murder killing those who celebrate Valentine's Day turns out to be true to legend when a group defies the killer's orders and people start turning up dead. Ooh. Wah, wah, wah. I'm doing the rest of the episode in this voice. <laughs> Let's jump into some sleigh by play, shall we? Yeah. So it starts out with two miners in full fledged fucking mining gear, including face masks, everything. They're seen going into a deep mine shaft, each carrying a pickaxe. They reach an alcove, and one of the figures takes off the mask, revealing that she is a young woman. Do you have a problem with how she looks when she takes off her face mask, Jake? Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's a little ridiculous. I'm like, I mean, come on. Michelle literally, the first thing she said was, oh, come on. <laughs> right. right? Because she literally rips off this like face hugging mask that is in no way, shape, or form allowing you to have this like voluptuous hair. Like, and it's like all like per it's like perfect. And she has no smudges on her face, on her mascara, and she has red lipstick on. It's a little silly. It's distracting to me to the point where I'm convinced that they shot it in reverse and that her hair was perfect <laughs> and then she I put could the mask see that. on. That's so funny. It's I can totally so see that now. obnoxiously good. But yep. I love it. I and love the fact that it's silly. Like one of my favorite things in the movie Black, Sh or is it Tommy Boy? When David Spade goes into the airplane bathroom and comes out, and it's clearly a body double that goes uh, in and he comes right, out fully right, changed. Right. I, I pop for stupid stuff like that. It's fun. <laughs> it led me to think... I really hope she dies. So, I mean, it ended up working out in the end because she gets brutally murdered. For being the first kill in a film, I don't know. I wasn't at all that pleased with it, but I, at the same time, you could imagine they had to tone it down a little bit with the, you know, being hovering close to the rated X. You know, I kind of like it, though, that yeah. it's so tepid because the only thing that really bothers me about this kill is that I don't fucking know what's going on. Yeah, like right. She says one line... But I don't know who her boyfriend is, so I'm, my expectation isn't subverted. Like, for all I... I remember seeing this for the first time, like, I don't know, like, did her boyfriend go crazy? And then I'm like, oh, wait, that's a different person. Yes, And exactly. so that's my only issue. I mean, her death, it's fine because it's the first one. You don't want to blow your wad on the first one. You know what I mean? Or do you? Uh, no, <laughs> I, there are some really bangers. I'm going to need one. a towel. <laughs> yeah. Dude, for this movie especially. Right, right. So she removes part of her uniform and stands in a state of half undress in front of the figure. Presumably, the worst titty tat I've ever seen. Right. It looks like she literally found a Sharpie and was like, hey, let's throw this on here. And I guess it's like a bullseye. So it's something you're focusing in on, especially when the pickaxe goes through her. Did you pick up on the fucking caressing his long breathing tube like it's a big old ding dong oh for sure it's <laughs> awesome i was like oh i'm getting a chub right now like what's going on that was the most lurid non-nudity sexual <laughs> thing i've ever seen exactly like exactly. to the point where i expected his like lenses in his mask to fill like, up with it's cum. fogged oh <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm like, it gets fogged, and you're like, come. I'm come. like, yes, exactly. That totally, come. that totally works. So yeah, he he essentially grabs her, and she's like, oh, you're so aggressive, Mr. Man. And as he, I forget to mention, he slams the pickaxe right next to her, and then they start doing their seductive little strip tease, and then he literally just like shoves her right into the pickaxe. Which is and, fun. Which is great. Again, it her cheesy little heart tattoo makes you zero in on that particular spot. So when the pickaxe goes through it, you're just like, oh, fuck, that's that's pretty cool. Then it goes to the town, right? When Valentine's Bluff, how fucking cute. It's called Valentine's Bluff. And this is a movie called My Bloody Valentine. The redundance, it's, it's blowing me away. I don't want to say it's redundant <laughs> because I know plenty of stupid people. <laughs> you know, you have to be that on the nose these that's days. That's true, that's true. The town is home to a coal mine where many of the local men work, both young and old. Hanniger, the town mayor, discusses a Valentine's Day dance with a woman named good old Mabel, or as Mabel. I like to call her, die cleaner. <laughs> so let me ask you this. Have you ever heard the song Working in a Coal Mine by Devo? I don't think I have. It's a cover song, but I thought for sure that this might pop into your head. I don't know why. I don't think you're a Devo fan, but basically the lyric, working in a coal mine, working downtown, working in a coal mine. Oop, nobody's that. And then there's a voice that goes out of nowhere. It's like, I am so tired. How long will this go on? <laughs> and I, I think about that song like every day because as a dad, I'm so tired. How long will this go on? And it's in a coal mine. So I had the pleasure of seeing people murdered while thinking about Devo, which brought me back to Castle Freak days. If you one, haven't listened to our Castle one Freak. Giant, one giant circle. Dude, the world's a donut. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of cool seeing the... I, I always fuck up this word. I'm going to say it and I'm not even going to edit it out. Camaraderie. Com camaraderie. Camaraderie. There you go. I'm like, camaraderie. Commodity. <laughs> camaraderie of the miners, right? It brought me back to when I was working for Big Bad Corporation Halliburton. And, you know, you have these long hours and these shifts that suck, but you end up having like a second family. Hold out. on. Now, were you saying suck? But you have a second family, or were they suck butt? <laughs> I need to know the distinction. Are, it, it, it definitely wasn't suck butt. It's not slurping the anus. No. Okay. Definitely not. So yeah, it just it was kind of neat, and it brought me back to those days where you have that close bond with coworkers, and I don't feel like a lot of people deal with that anymore. Not it's at a all. lot of like. I'm going to work with you as long as I can, and then I'm tuning out. See the fuck later. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things I like about, for instance, uh, The Thing, where you know these people on an intimate level to an extent, if not not necessarily because you like them, but because like you're forced right, to be around right, each other. Right. And so this movie does a pretty good job. I kind of wish that they had like more suspicion towards one another of who the killer was. Yeah, but I can see that. I, I'll sacrifice that kind of story element for brevity and just a blistering pace, because this movie doesn't have any fat to trim right right that's totally true so he you know he's talking to mabel and they discuss the murder that happened 20 years ago it's not so subtle but it's like you need to have that backstory to figure out like what's going on within the film so yeah. he's like oh you know i'm i can't believe it's been 20 years since this has happened our first and, valentine's and day i dance. hope i i hope nothing bad happens because my god all those murders that happened so long ago so those murders sure were murders <laughs> so and then they kind of go into like a little backstory where it's like the wayne's world like, <laughs> 
The accident was due to negligence of two supervisors who were anxious to get to the Valentine's Day dance. They're like, ah, oh, fuck yeah. I mean, do you see Sally over there? I bet I'm she's going to be there. Wet. I'm going to get my dick wet. <laughs> so they don't even fail. I mean, they don't even check. They're like, all of the OSHA, you know, hazards. And they're like, okay, make sure everybody's up and you check everybody off the list and, you know, check it twice like fucking Santa Claus and shit. And they didn't do any of that. They're nope. just like, I, I want one thing. Well, maybe two things. Get himself a cold moose head beer. Yeah. <laughs> Can hey. I get a little sponsor kickback maybe? I don't know. Get some moose head and then get some head from a moose. Oh, you know what I'm man. saying? <laughs> <laughs> so apparently there was an explosion, right? And it's because it, it's like a, there's a lot of methane in coal mines. I didn't know this, but apparently methane's like a thing. That's why they have the canary in the coal mine. That's the expression. That's super sad. You put that in there so that it dies and not you. That's really sad. So... Apparently, it shows that there was an explosion. Four people, there were five people in the shaft. Four of them died with one lone survivor, and that's Harry Warden. And so he survives by killing everybody else for that sweet, succulent oxygen. I don't know oxygen. if he kills everybody or if they were dead and then he survives off eating them. He kills them all. There's evidence that he killed them first. Really? I didn't catch that. Yeah. So he kills oh, them so he has enough air and then he eats them. That makes it so much better. Time. That makes it so much yeah, better. Yeah. It's super gross. Yeah. And it's so crazy. They're, they even mentioned that he was down there for six weeks. Crazy, which is right? fucking nuts. Like, was he just like drinking his own pee pee? Like pulling the old, uh, what was that guy? The Survivor Man. Not Survivor Man, but uh, Bear Grylls. There we go. Right? Didn't he? Dude, like, that dude would drink pee-pee. He'd like pee-pee. drink pee-pee like yeah. all the time. He'd be at a Starbucks and then be like, hey, can I have a glass of pee? And they're like, oh, uh, no. Do you oh, know how no. Starbucks works, He's man? like, he, he almost had a little R. Kelly vibe going on there. Ew. <laughs> so a survivor named Harry Warden was rescued, found in a state of mental collapse. The rescue took so long that Harry had resorted to cannibalism, eating the bodies of his dead co-workers. Harry took revenge on the two sur- supervisors, attacking them with a pickaxe and tearing out their hearts, leaving him decorative Valentine boxes and warning the town to never hold another Valentine's dance, which is kind of neat in the fact that he didn't really try and escape. Yeah. He's just like, ah, oh, fuck you guys. I'm going to kill as much as I can and then be like, well, you better not have another Valentine's dance. Otherwise, double dog dare you. Yeah, because he really wanted that V, right? I mean, I feel... I. <sighs> If I was working all day long and I was like, I'm going to have an awesome time at this dance and we're going to be doing the old raw dog. <laughs> I was waiting for it. There we go. Yeah. I would be a little peeved off if somebody left me to die and I never got any. So. I am so horny. But at the same time, I mean, he was down there with a few bodies. So <laughs> a warm hole is a warm hole. Yeah. Oh, it's Even not- if it's not a warm hole, you could heat it up. Do a little of this. Oh, no. (laughs) Then it's steamy, too. Right. Moist. So the warning had been heated until now. And the town tries to put pass behind and have another dance, which 20 years later, I mean, I feel like that's enough healing. Why not? Younger people of the town are excited about it. Three of these young people are involved in a menage a trois. You have TJ Hanniger or Handkerchief, Neckerchief. Neckerchief. My bad. The mayor's son has recently returned from an unexpected departure when he tried to leave Valentine's Bluff behind, including his girlfriend, Tufer. <laughs> In the meantime, Tufer has begun a relationship with Neckerchief's friend. What was I calling him? Boy Toy. Boy Toy. Boy Toy. So it's Boy Toy and Neckerchief and then Tufer. I'm surprised that I was able to recall Boy Toy because I was so distracted at the idea that Tufer, I almost blurted out Tufer Sutherland. <laughs> I don't know where my brain came up with that. Well... These are interesting times. Yeah, they are. (laughs) 
Meanwhile, Mayor Hanniger and the town's chief of police, Jake Newby, get an anonymous box of Valentine's chocolates. And when they open it, it contains a pig heart. I mean, it looks like it's it's definitely, I mean, not a human heart. It's some sort yeah. of animal heart or. But it's know. a it's a person. It's heart. a person's heart. A person yes. who has a titty tat, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Titty tatty. I like it. I feel like this is the second time we talked about Tad Zappies. Zaddy, zitty, zaddy, tappies. No, that doesn't make sense. Taddy Zapper. There you go. I was having some fucking word mumbles right there. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what you're saying, but I like how you're saying it. Because <laughs> remember, we were talking about tattoo, oh, no, tattoo guns and the tattoo. Okay. No, I remember that. <laughs> what I'm saying I is like, I have no Zat-tapper. fucking idea. Zat- what that zitty, yeah. zaddy, that. I don't know. <laughs> Where's the bug zapper? Yeah, and how exactly. does that leave a mark on someone's skin? <laughs> A note warns against having another Valentine's Day dance. And how many times do they need a goddamn note in this film? A little excessive. It's a little excessive. That's one thing where you're like, oh, it's kind of cute that he's like rhyming and stuff. But at the same time, eh. But think about this. They didn't have cell phones. This is the equivalent of Scream. (laughs) Right? That's totally true. I didn't even think about it. What's your favorite scary movie? (laughs) That evening, Mabel is also attacked by the killer. Mabel, a.k.a. Die Cleaner. Oh my God! You said dyke first. Sorry, you, cut this. you said dyke. <laughs> I did not. You totally I said, said dyke cleaner. I know, but the way that you said, uh. I, I, I said you could edit this all out. <laughs> that evening, dyke cleaner is also. <laughs> I need to really space those words out. That Luckily, evening, she dies in the scene, so you never have to mention her again. <laughs> that evening, die cleaner <laughs> is also attacked by the killer. Still you have dressed to leave into all that in now. Gear. You can't just go die. Cleaner. People would be like, what? Did he have a stroke? Fine, fine, fine. He corners her in a laundromat and murders her with a pickaxe. It's almost like he's stalking her very slowly. It's pretty neat. Yeah, you get like, like I was saying, you get like the best elements of each kind of right. horror because this is like your Michael Myers sitting outside watching the people while they're going about their daily lives. And then he like sets a trap. And what's I, I like how cruel this one is because she finds the candy. She thinks that it's romance. She like feels this love. You find out later she gives the candy to the other guy. So she is expecting some kind of candy from him. And then only to be murdered and crammed yep. into a dryer. Yep. The next morning, Jake finds her body stuffed inside one of the dryers. Which is so gnarly because I, for some reason, I, as a kid, I think I remembered it as a washing machine. And so I remember being a very moist death, but it is not. <laughs> no, she it is, is like the exact opposite of a moist death. Flappy, milkless She's basically like gross. human jerky. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should have called her that. Yeah, I ah, could well. definitely go for some human jerky and some, <laughs> some fava beans and a nice quijante. Newbie tries to hush up the incident. Totally illegal. I was like, what the fuck? I mean, this is like obviously a small town, but like, come on. Yeah. I don't know how Canadian taxpayers go, but I'd be like, (laughs) excuse me. I'm sorry, Uh, but I pay taxes. She had a heart attack. It's fine. Oh, I don't recall victims having heart attacks that look like that. (laughs) Well, when she was stuffed into a dryer, she probably had a heart attack at some point as she was roasting alive. Right. So Newbie phones the mental institution where Harry Warden was incarcerated, but there are no trace of him anywhere because, again, Hick, small town penitentiary, apparently has no files 
on people and they're like, uh, it went back 15 years. I don't give a fuck. It, it, he must be gone. He never existed, right? Which totally works back then, but works like shit now because we have computers. But back then, <laughs> you're like, like, I don't know. Uh, let me fact check that. Nope, you're wrong. This He totally was here. Yeah. So, Newbie and Hanniger fear that Harry Warden has come back to con- continue his killing spree, and their worst fears seem to be confirmed when the coroner tells them the heart in the box was indeed a human heart. I was really kind of shocked. Not Maybe that's the wrong word. I was disappointed that the coroner didn't have like a ham sandwich in the other hand because yes. it's like a running joke, right? A lot of movies. A lot seen, of yeah. movies had these corners like literally like elbow deep into like a chest cavity and then like eating a ham sandwich in the other. So it's, it's I guess it's just like a play on death. Yeah, so. which is fun. Uh, that happens in Night of the Creeps and Tom Atkins is in my movie. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's that's cool. So next we go to where the with the death of Mabel, the dance is canceled. And you can imagine it's it's a pretty valid reason, right? This is a small town where everybody knows each other on first name basis. And you can imagine people being fairly upset about the dry cleaning lady getting murdered like that. Well, having a heart attack like that. (laughs) Well, I like the fact that the teens the reason that they're having the party isn't as an act of defiance of like, I fuck your authority. It's like, it's, well, we already did all the work, so we might well, as well. It's also, she would want us to have this party. She was integral in getting it back in after 20 years. Right, out. exactly. And I almost want to say, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like even though the, the chief said, we're going to keep this hush hush, he told the kids what actually happened to her. He didn't, but one of the uh, deputies did. It. Oh, so one, oh, one of, of the, the coroners did it. One of the okay, yeah, I might have missed that. So because because it seems like somehow all of a sudden they knew yeah. what happened. Okay, so you well, know, also actually, I take that back. The bartender assumes. Oh right, he's like it's I'm telling you, happy fucking it, happy. Yeah, the guy that's obviously not happy, grouchy. <laughs> but can we talk about the part where Mabel makes a triumphant return as Viscera? so good there's two people in the world who find that joke funny and it's you and me the corporate ministry there might be a few (laughs) that's good google it right so uh when they leave the bartender rushes out of the mines ahead of them and sets up a gag dummy which is super fucking good right it's so good because it's like almost like the joy of his day was setting this up because he is so fucking excited about opening it and screaming and be like, ah! He reminds me of Eustace from Courage the Cowardly Dog. Yeah. <laughs> I can totally see it. I can totally see it. And it's fun because you can see, you can um, you, you don't have to pay attention to know this is what's going to happen next. Yeah, right. Sure. It's like, okay, I'm going to open this and then I'm going to close it. I'm going to open this. I'm going to close it. And you're like, okay, I got it. Now it's going to be the real killer. But it's just, nobody guesses how he gets killed, right? And it's totally reminiscent of what happened in Boar. Okay. Not necessarily completely like that because the poor girl had her eyeball still intact, but the girl sitting on the log that gets gored from the back and has the the his the tusk coming through the jaw. Yeah, it reminds me because he essentially shoves it through the bottom of his jaw and it comes out his eyeball for sure. I mean, it's this is way better than what happens in Boar, like yeah. tenfold. For those of you who don't know, we did our Patreon bonus episode. Oh, the yeah. Last sorry, month guys. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah, hey, that, become a Patreon user and then maybe you'll be able to. There you go. It's a good point. Or <laughs> donate to Australian Wildlife Relief. Just because the fires are dying out doesn't mean the fact that people still, we need conservation efforts and things to try and help. But the reason that it was distracting to me, sorry, I didn't mean to stonewall you, but uh, was because everybody I saw online, I don't know what the fuck 
like how people didn't see this, but people were saying that the eye getting popped out in the 2009 3D version was an homage to Friday the 13th 3D with the eye popping out. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? It's from the original movie. I don't know. That this movie's named after. It just seems like so many people are like, well, this is derivative of this and this is derivative of this. Everything is everything comes from something. There's not like I don't know. I guess you can say there are original ideas, nope. but you can literally trace them back and find some sort of I don't know, point point A to point B For on sure. literally everything. So anybody else that thinks otherwise can fuck off. Exactly. This movie is Othello. It's a jealous prick being a <laughs> shit who kills people. Right, right. So the following night, when the large group of young revelers arrive at the mine, uh, you have young Neckerchief and Boy Toy who come to blows over their rivalry at the at the mine. And this is where you have the old timer that's like, hey, motherfuckers, not on my watch. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. I like it. They go like storm off. And then, like, one guy gets in his, like, sweet Camaro, and he's, like, fucking doing donuts and shit. Like, fuck you, man. <laughs> so then you have, uh, th- this is where you go to the party, right? It goes from them almost going into it to them deciding, hey, you know what? Where the fuck can we have this? Let's have it at the mine. Let's have it here. They're kind of debating on where they can do it. And then you have Neckerchief saying, ah, let's just have it at my old man's place. You know, it doesn't matter as long as we keep quiet because there's a curfew right there's a curfew that's been in place from the sheriff saying hey you know what there's too much mischief going on because my whole heart attack thing completely fell through and (laughs) nobody believes that shit for anything right (laughs) so you know they they keep quiet and they're like all right we're we're gonna have this little get together everybody come hang out so you have one guy who goes into the back and he's like, I'm, I have the munchies. And he goes into the back and you see people boiling hot dogs. And you're like, I feel like, is that a Canadian thing? I don't know. That's a, it's There was a, a big movement in the 70s and 80s as far as like boiling meats to get fat out of them. But you also have know. flavor by doing that. It just seemed gross. What I loved is I got to tell my wife, oh, yeah, I saw a guy get murdered by hot dog water. And she was like, <laughs> come again. <laughs> I like it. Get it? Hot right. dog water, come again. Ah, that's good. There you go. That's almost like the name of that Limp Biscuit album. Oh, the chocolate starfish and the hot dog flavored water. <laughs> he might be talking about the same movie. My way or the highway. Oh, boy. Here we go. So, I, I mean, it's kind of neat the way he's killed. It's also, eh, it was probably one of the lesser kills, I guess, within the film. Yeah. Because essentially, you just see him and like his face kind of deteriorating over time. It wasn't bad, but it's it's nothing revolutionary. Right, right. I think that the after effect when he's in the fridge. When is he's way inside better. the freezer, yeah, that's really cool. Or the fridge. But yeah, that part's really cool. I love how gross his heart looks once it's been boiled. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. It's like discolored, right. almost like yeah. a hot dog. Ew. So one of the girls finds it later, thinking it to be a gag, and Dave's body initially goes unnoticed in the freezer. Which well, dude grabs is his always beard. it's it's always fun. Like it's campy because I feel right like it's there. done it's been yeah. done a lot. Oh yeah. Chief Newbie also gets a hint of trouble when another candy box appears containing a blood-soaked heart. But it's not the blood bloody box at first. It's the it's there's a nice box from Mabel, and then he sees the bloody box. Yeah. So I mean that's kind of cool. And uh, the note apparently says, "You didn't stop the party. The chief, unaware of the party at Hanniger's mine, can only ask, what damn party?'" <laughs> well, there's five people who live in the town, so look where the other four people right, are having a party. Right, exactly. 
So then you have a young couple named John and Sylvia who are making out in the shower area of the mine facility. When John leaves to go get a beer after she's like coyly like, oh, well, you know what we're missing? And then he's like, yeah, I do. And he pulls out his condom and you're like, wah, wah. <laughs> she's like, give me a beer, bitch. It's the exact same thing that happens in the movie Boar. Oh, is Again, it? Again, to go back to our Patreon oh, yeah, bonus yeah, 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 that's right. They're in that's a tent right. and they're about to raw Yeah, dog. she's like, ah, make me a drink first. Yeah. yeah. So Sylvia is attacked by the miner who first traps her by dropping miner's cover- coveralls from the ceiling. Which is a great effect. Yeah, absolutely. Then ambushes her and viciously impales her head on a shower nozzle. Which is great. Thus why I call her Farrah Fawcett. Da, 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 da. <laughs> John returns to find the killer gone and Sylvia hanging impaled from the shower nozzle. And, oh, and he's coming in to like thinking he's going to get his dick oh, wet. Oh, yeah. I mean, he probably does still get it wet. She is naked the in there. And- what? <laughs> Ew. But he actually does a good job of being like tormented and crying. Oh, and yeah. Maybe. Absolutely. Like, I don't. He doesn't play it off as like being like a wilting flower or like he's just like truly horrified by right the he's right seeing, right which i mean in a lot of horror movies people get over shit really quickly or they're just like i can't go on like patty later she's like i can't go on without hollis <laughs> it's like yeah but i mean i like her she's good enough at being likable through the rest of the movie where i feel some sense of sympathy for her yeah but so often in horror movies i'm like just shut the fuck up and start crawling just or shut whatever. the fuck up and die already yeah, yeah. So then you have Hollis, who essentially kind of diffuses the situation between Neckerchief and Boy Toy. They're like at like an all time high as far as testosterone. They go to blows. Right. Exactly. Because at this point, Kerchief has been like, hey, I licked your girlfriend's face because she used to be my girlfriend. Right. I guess I I kind of glossed over that. It was like a weird kind of. It's an awful scene. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you have Hollis who's like kind of throwing like something out there to like kill the vibe of like this aggressiveness. I, I said Hollis. My bad. Young Buck. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and he's like hey guys let's go down to the mine that sounds like a great idea right or is it one of the girls yeah, that yeah, mentioned, mentioned it to one him, of the okay and he's, and he's like uh, maybe and they're but like, Patty's oh. like look she's distressed and what i liked about this tell me if you got that it's kind of progressive basically sarah's like i don't need to pick either of you you're both being assholes yeah that was really cool I, absolutely yeah because yeah, then after the fact neckerchief like goes up to her and he's just like oh what's up babe blah, you're my blah. property and she's now. like dude I don't want to deal with any of you. You're fucking man children. Like I, I, I don't have children of my own, and I don't certainly don't want to fucking raise you. It's your neckerchief or me. And he's like, "Well, you know what I'm wearing. I'm a strong, independent woman, and I don't need no man." There we go. So they head down to the mine, and they take the miner's little cab thing. What the fuck is it called? A trolley? Mine car. Is it a mine car? Cart- I guess that mine cart. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, dude. I, I totally imagine something that would be in Disneyland. Yeah, Thunder, Big Thunder Mountain or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People there get you decapitated go. and all that shit all the time. <laughs> That's a horror movie. Isn't it weird that those mine carts exist in real life? Because whenever I think of them, I think of shit like DuckTales and like Indiana Pitfall Jones. and video games. But the fact that like that was at one point a viable means of conveyance and still is, is like, that's weird. It sounds terrifying to me because I, I can it. just imagine being hundreds and hundreds of feet down and having some kind of like malfunction. Yeah, and nope. then you're like, I guess we're walking. Hopefully nothing bad happens because 
right? <laughs> we're fucked. I and hope that I don't exert myself breathing in this And it's methane. really sad because you still have shit to this day, obviously, in like third world countries where like the, the miners in Chile, I think it was, like not too long ago, or where was that in South America that got trapped for like weeks? Yep. That sounds terrifying. So you have Michael and Harriet, and they're both constantly like at each other, like wanting to get down, right? And they're like, hey, you know what? We're going to go off and kind of do our own thing. But they even have a song about how she's like a virgin and stuff. So this has been worked up a very like steady pace through the entire movie at this point, which is a really cool kind of payoff. Right, exactly. When you think it's just two kids having sex, we're like, fuck, finally. <laughs> That's it. That's it. So it kind of jumps back and forth between the party and the mine. So Gretchen, Howard's love interest, finds Dave dead in the freezer. And then John runs in telling everybody simultaneously at like everybody finds dead people at the same time. Yeah. Which is cool because it speeds up the process. Exactly. So John runs in telling everybody Sylvia has been murdered with her fucking face impaled on or back of her head impaled on a shower spigot. Axel, a.k.a. Boy Toy warns that Harry Warden is probably responsible and is prowling the premise, which after the fact, you're like, oh, you slide dog, right? That's pretty good. And the party disperses in a panic. Boy Toy and Neckerchief find out that the others went down to the mine and they take an elevator down to warn them and lead them to safety. While down there, Michael and Harriet go off into the engine room to make love. Passionate, passionate love. Whoopee if you're watching the there you go. game. And the killer impales them with a large drill bit. I wish I would have seen the kill. I mean, maybe that's just me being greedy for more kills. I would have liked it if it was attached to a drill, but to just be stabbed with it would be kind of... Uh... Yeah, that's totally true. Holly discovers the bodies, or Hollis, I should say, uh, who is Young Buck, discovers the bodies and is attacked by the miner who uses a nail gun. And it's like an OG nail gun one that's at one time. at a time. You're like, God, that sounds so inconvenient. Right. I mean, you better make a good shot like right off the bat because otherwise you're getting your ass beat. Oh, it just seems like so much fucking work to reload every time. I feel just like Young Buck could probably handle his own if he missed that first shot. Possibly. Hot dog eating. Hot dog eating and all. Big old bear hug. <laughs> exactly. You know what he could do? He could eat his one hot dog, save room for 99 more, and leave Harry Warren bleeding out. Oh, shit. There you go. Or, or is it Harry Warren? <laughs> so he gets nailed, what, three, three times? times? Yeah. I think it's three times. One in the back of the head, one in the side of the head, one and in one in the front. So I feel like maybe the four on one on each side and then... You know, front and back would be kind of cool. But obviously, you're like, okay, he's way dead. So It's just so weird that he goes on to be Pinhead in Hellraiser. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very illustrious career. Right. It's a shame he has to shave the mustache. That's the big problem. Right. That's a dirty, dirty mustache. <laughs> who wants a mustache ride? Patty and Sarah discover him, and they catch a glimpse of the miner who disappears into a tunnel. Howard runs off in a panic, leaving Patty and Sarah alone. You have Neckerchief and Boy Toy, who appear shortly thereafter, and they try to lead the two girls to safety, but the control panel to the mining cart has been tampered with, of course. Uh-oh. The elevator has been similarly disabled, so they climb up the service ladder. Oh, my God. This part right here, I'm like, I would be fucking furiously climbing up that ladder. Like, I don't know. Maybe it's just like, it doesn't make sense. Obviously, it doesn't make sense in a film. They have to take their time. They have to slip. Everybody does. Well, also, you can only go so far because they have the camera set up at one oh, stretch yeah, of it. That's so totally they just true. repeat the same stretch yep. of it multiple times. So the elevator has been disabled. They start climbing up the ladder. Halfway up, they're startled. <laughs> this is a great fucking kill. It is awesome. So this might be, for me, the, the slay of the game. Okay. 
I can see it. I and it's sad to see or to think that the original did not have this. Right, it just had the body fall. Yeah, it's good. You point. miss everything. All you see is blood splattering all over one of the girl's face. Yeah, and then a body fall, but you don't see anything else. So I mean, you can kind of come to a conclusion that the head got decapitated, but to see it as it falls is so fucking good. Yeah, yeah, it's a nice scene there. Without these things, I could definitely see why people would be like, eh, like kind of lukewarm to the movie. Yeah, because yeah, it's, it's I can a see spectacle. that. Yeah, so, definitely. I mean, yeah. Thinking Harry Warden is now above them on the ladder, they retreat while rounding a bend in the mine in the mine shaft. Neckerchief, Sarah, and Patty hear Boy Toy scream behind them. When they go back, it seems as if Boy Toy has fallen into a well, but in reality, he's just throwing them for a loop. Yeah, because you see the the, the light like falling, and then he says something like, "Oh, it's like sixty feet deep." Or some shit like that. It says know. it on a sign right behind. Oh, is that him. what it said? Yeah, I, I was like, I how the fuck does that. he know so specifically? <laughs> That's oh. oddly specific. Yeah. Okay, so from there, you just kind of imagine that it's just those three that are left uh, above ground. Well, yeah, above ground, you have newbie who is the chief, has learned of Harry Warden reappearing at the mine as he and he pulls over a car for speeding when the three party goers, Tommy, John, and Gretchen, tell him about the two murders. Newbie rushes off to the mine with support of the rescue of the rescue survivors. There you go. In the mine, the killer steps out from the doorway and kills Patty with a blow to the stomach. It's a little bit anticlimactic. Yeah. You kind of wish there was maybe even just a little blood spurting from her mouth. Something. Whatever. It's missing something. Yeah. Sure. I feel like maybe that's why I don't even have a nickname for her. My bad. Yeah. Maybe like at least a little disemboweling or something like that. Yeah. Sarah and TJ fend him off in a series of confrontations and chases until they face off with him inside a small alcove that leads to some kind of abandoned tunnel. The fight destroys the outdated wooden supports and the tunnel begins to collapse. The miner's pickaxe gets caught in a support beam and he draws a hunting knife. Where the fuck did the hunting knife come from? Yeah. It doesn't make any appearance in the movie at all. So pockets. it kind of threw me for a loop where I was just like, what? The f- what? Where did that come from? I mean, at least it's like a hunter's knife. It's not like a kitchen yeah, that's knife. That's true. As the miner threatens TJ with it, the killer is then revealed to be Neckerchief. No. No. Boy toy. Boy toy. It's revealed to be boy toy. So it's not Harry Warden at all. It's which, not Harry Warden at all. It kind of what makes a sense. twist. Well, this is one of the things that I always like in a movie where it makes sense. Like, for instance, if you go to the Dark Knight Rises, if you do basic math, Bane is like at least 50. Yeah, right. right. So you're like, that's I mean, without the use of the Venom steroid. That's just crazy. Yeah. So in this, when you think Harry Warden would have to be by this point, at least 50. Because he had 20 years to the last time he was killing people. Let's say he was 20. So he's at least in his 40s. At least in his 40s. Bare minimum. Yeah. And like dudes hucking people around and stuff after living in like the woods or an abandoned part of the mine. Yeah, like, that's totally true. Now you what's think about his nutrition it. like? Like, So the physicality doesn't make any sense. And so you have a young virile man who yeah. is jilted. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't even think about that. But it totally makes sense. I mean there are some people who just have old man strength. It's totally a thing. That is true. <laughs> but old Dan Hendo Henderson. Exactly. Exactly. Sculpted out of wood. So you find out that it is neck. It's not neckerchief. I'm going to say that again. It is not neckerchief. It is boy toy. I'm just your boy toy. Sean <laughs> Michaels is the killer. And then it shows a flashback, which again, we talked about at the beginning of the movie, it seems like they just kind of threw it in very hastily. Like, oh God, we have to explain everything. Yeah. So really quickly, he was the boy. His father gets murdered. He is the boy of the mayor 
that was murdered 20 years ago. Correct. And you see the guy murdered 20 years ago in his house when he like, you know, he's in his vanity or whatever and he gets killed. But what you don't see is him underneath the bed with blood spurted all over him. Exactly. You tend to think that obviously from witnessing this, he becomes a killer. It's almost like the vicious cycle. Yeah. I guess. He ends up fleeing and laughing and getting away, which is awesome. Right, right. They set it up for a franchise. So essentially you have the collapse of the cavern that they're in. Yeah. And they're on one side and he's on the other. And you you see one little hole where you can kind of hear him and for some reason Toofer wants to go back and see him, which makes absolutely no sense because he tried to fucking kill you. I think and- she wants to see him die, though. I mean, that's oh, okay. Sense. I was thinking she had like some sentimental, like oh my god. Oh no, I, I took it as like definitive. Why? Okay, so that totally makes sense then. And so he cuts his arm off, and he cuts his arm off. She's like reaching for him, and it's like a very like oh, this is like a, a tender moment, and then he fucking cuts his arm off, and he like sc- like squeals like a little kid who just found like a stash of candy or something. Yeah. Yeah. And he just like runs off. And what's the last words he says? My bloody Valentine. He says, I think he says he calls, he says, Sarah, my bloody Valentine. There you go. That's right. As he's laughing and walking away. And then he goes into the ballad and that's fucking a great way to end it. So you don't feel like it's anticlimactic. No, I don't at all. A lot of people online claim that it is like he does because he doesn't die and stuff. I'm like, I like that though. I like the way that it, it leaves ends. you wondering what's happening, what's going to happen next. Just uh, like Harry Warden. Yeah, when he was left alone. I don't. I I think this is a like. I'm not going to say it's a near perfect film, but I love it. I love its flaws. I love the pacing of it. I think the characters are very likable throughout. You know, like the guy who the tryhard guy. You got Young Buck. I mean, a lot of these characters. Like I enjoyed them. Like I could. I wanted more of them but what's great about it is this movie definitely gets the like leaving you wanting more right right I, if i can tell you right now five more minutes of that party scene i would not like this movie half as much <laughs> i don't have patience at all but it's yeah. cut very tightly to where i'm like all right i haven't been fatigued by these characters i like them enough to like root for people to live and die I just think it's really well executed. It it boggles my mind that more people a haven't seen it and b don't celebrate it more. Yeah, it's just it's weird that it's become a cult classic because it is again like you said it's been executed so well and it holds its value for how old the movie really is. Oh yeah. All the all the kills, every single one of them. I was genuinely I genuinely enjoyed it as except for obviously the impale of the stomach and maybe just the stab through the back. Yeah, pretty weak. But but honestly, other than that, it was pretty flawless. And the other kills are so good, I give it a pass. Yeah, yeah. They definitely kind of overshadow the ones that were a little weaker. So I agree. And it's it's hard. As far as if I were to knock out Tucker and Dale, it's Tucker and Dale is so easy to watch. This one is easy to watch as well. I just... I don't know. I'll have to think about it. I- <laughs> All right. How about this? Because I there's no way I even contend that 2009 is as good as this one. So while I'm going through 2009, I want you to think about it. And by the I'll time give I you, finish, I'll give you a little bit of a sound judgment on my decision. Exactly. And I'm just saying that uh, Tucker and Dale might be good, but nobody's hankering to do a remake of it anytime soon. So it uh, speaks to the prodigiousness of it. You might have just sold me, man. Well, let me know. So, <laughs> My Bloody Valentine 2009 was released as My Bloody Valentine 3D. It was actually the first rated R film to use real D technology, which is kind of cool. The 
if you look throughout the film, there are certain homages to the original and stuff. Uh, a lot of people try and point out, like I said, comparisons to Friday the 13th uh, Part 3, which is also a 3D film. We're going to speed through that because really, like I said, I don't think this movie is anywhere near as good as the original, but it's serviceable, albeit very indicative of the time. Now, the budget was $14 million. Do you know, have any idea how much it grossed? Well... At the time, I feel like horror movies were kind of on the more popular side. Yep. They were getting a lot bigger. And so it's 3D. So it automatically... Was this like one of the more. first 3D horror films? It was a big spectacle, yeah. $102 million. Jesus domestically, Christ. 51, 500, domestically, 51,545,000. Internationally, 51,290,000. Wow. But you have to factor in that each ticket price for 3D automatically costs more. So it's sometimes as much as double, if not more. Kind of makes you wonder how much advertising they did for this film. A lot. I vividly remember the advertising. I remember them showing the miner throwing the Oh, you know what? I think I remember that. Yeah. I think I remember that. That's interesting. That's quite the success. Exactly. And so the movie released January 16, 2009. You know what its competition was? A little film called Paul Blart. Mall Cop. Wow. In its four-day opening weekend, the film made $24.1 million. That's awesome. And so it came in number three against Paul Blart, which is a PG-13 I don't think I've ever seen that movie. Neither have I. And Gran Torino, which won a bunch of Academy Awards. So, I mean, it tells you it's like right there in contention with the biggest things, and it's behind a rated R, and it's, you know, kind of a novelty movie with no known actors. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So one cautionary thing, the next week was The Dark Knight came out, and the week after that was Taken. They definitely had to release it when they did. Exactly. The movie, I'm going to say, a little bit of Fatica trim, 101 minutes, not too terrible. The director, it's crazy they gave this guy this much money. At this point, he'd done Dracula 2000, the sequel, the triquequel, and then Drive Angry. (laughs) Wait, I'm sorry, what was that? Yeah, you got it. (laughs) The screenplay was by Todd Farmer, who did a movie I really like, Jason X. Oh, there you go. He also did Messengers and Drive Angry. Now, like we had talked about, this was based on the same story by Stephen Miller and John Beard. One thing that I don't know that you touched on, Stephen Miller was responsible for Airwolf, Nightman, and Magnum P.I. You know, this is the second, no, maybe the third time we've mentioned Airwolf. I've still not seen it. Really? But apparently it's pretty fucking good. I wouldn't say it's good. It's fun. (laughs) I feel like it's one of the movies that has a cult following. Okay. Agreed? Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Okay. It was produced by Jack L. Murray, who did The Eye, Punisher Warzone, Waterworld, and Lights Out. Now, those are schlocky good movies. Like, Punisher Warzone is super fun. Like, I, I, that's the thing with this movie. It's like schlocky good fun. Music by Michael Wandmacher, who also did Punisher Warzone. If you're looking for a film where a guy who's doing <laughs> parkour gets blown up with a bazooka while listening to Rise Against, that's your movie. Oh, dude, I got to watch this now. Oh, it's great. <laughs> Makeup effect, Sarah Mays, who did Zombieland, Contagion, Hunger Games, and Poseidon. So a very developed cast. These people did great shit. Sorry, I'm talking so fast. I'm going to blaze right through this. Brian, are you ready for nicknames, nickname, first name? Go. Go for it. Okay. Jensen Ackles as Tom Hanniger. Now, here's 
this is Jake going into the weeds. I actually watched the first half of the first episode of Supernatural because of this guy. I think I'm going to keep watching it. Yeah, you are. We're going to watch that shit together. It's going to be delightful. Hand in hand. Here is his nickname for the movie, Dogma. Why? Because he wears a jacket with a hoodie underneath and he looks just like Ben Affleck and Matt Damon being (laughs) Bartleby and Loki. Now, fun fact, in an episode of Supernatural, it is titled My Bloody Valentine as a homage to this film. That's great. Isn't it, though? He said, and I quote, it's increasingly tougher to throw curveballs these days in talking about this film. So obviously... I thought he was actually talking about throwing a curveball. Like, ah, spit on it. <laughs> maybe, maybe he could join the Houston Astros. And Good. So basically, he's talking about in the original, there's obviously a plot twist. So they feel like they have to mimic a plot twist in this, but it can't be the same plot twist because in the act of it being a twist, it can't be the same. So basically, when I go through my rendition of this film, I'm just going to talk about the kills and the twist. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. And he was asked once if he thought that Harry Warden could be the next Jason. And he, quote, said, laugh if it comes to that. Good for him. That's a very lucrative franchise. (laughs) I like that fun little quip, basically. Like, ah, well, maybe it'll be good. I doubt it. But yeah. It's a good swerve because he's not addressing the competence of the character <laughs> he's just talking about money so it's it's a great way of being like i'm not even going to entertain this yeah exactly so he says quote it's not trying to be something new and inventive it's a throwback to those great old horror movies with this new technology which i think he's about 80 percent right yeah he was talking about they shot it in a real mind much like the original and they would see live bats hanging from the ceiling and they'd yell bat alert when walking by a live bat kind of fun <laughs> So we go to Jamie King, who was Sarah Mercer Palmer. I wanted to call her Freaky Friday because she looks exactly like Lindsay Lohan, and it kind of freaked me out. Oh, man. Maybe hopefully a better version. Because yeah, anytime I think of Lindsay Lohan. Well, she's gotten better looking. She advertises she? for some like lawyer service. Now. Wow. It's weird. So she was in Fanboys, and I don't care about that movie. I didn't think it was good. In fact, I tried to return it to Best Buy, and it was a whole <laughs> But apparently the director of the original Fanboys wants to make a sequel where it's a bunch of nerds trying to steal the Snyder Cut of Justice League. I'm all about that. I think that's hilarious. I, <laughs> I love feel how like that's that right is. up your alley. Oh, ah, for sure. <laughs> we go to Kerr Smith, who had actually worked with Jansen Algers on, I think it was Dawson's Creek, so they were familiar. He's way too tiny, and he has a fart face. He looks like a little rat boy, but I wanted <laughs> to call him Stink Face because the shape of his face is like a wedge as if it was between Rikishi's butt cheeks. <laughs> Then we go to Betsy Rue as Irene. I want to call her Dexy's Midnight Runner. Come on, Irene. Oh, I see. There we go. I like it. Then none of the other characters really matter. There's an actress named Megan Boone who plays Megan. That's kind of fun. basically like you're too stupid so we're just gonna it's always fun when people like have the same name as their character and you're just like ah you have a hard time remembering your lines it's cool <laughs> so we had tom atkins play sheriff james jim burke i want to call him thrill me because an homage to night of the creeps if you don't know this guy's career, you need to be like rung up because it is amazing. The Fog, The Ninth Configuration, Escape from New York, Creep Show, Halloween 3, Night of the Creeps, Lethal Weapon, Maniac Cop, Two Evil Eyes, Bob Roberts, Striking Distance, and he was in Drive Angry with the same writer-director. How great is that? Do you feel like some people just are in too many good movies? Yeah, I definitely <laughs> feel that way. When we were talking about Bill Mosley in the yeah, Forbes, I was right? like, Jesus Christ, man. Save some talent for the rest of us. One last thing I wanted to talk about. Todd Farmer, who plays Frank Trucker, was the writer of the film. 
Oh, and when I said one last thing, I totally lied. Richard John <laughs> Walters played Harry Warden the Miner, and he was in Pro Wrestlers vs. Zombies. What? And he was a stand-in for Frankenstein in Van Helsing. Kind of disappointed. He's only six foot two and a half. How is he a stand? Well, that doesn't make sense. He's a stand-in for Frank. Well. Tom Cruise can look super tall in movies these days, so I guess anything <laughs> is possible. <laughs> if you can make Frodo Baggins or Elijah Wood look like a hobbit, you can make Tom. <laughs> I must have Tom Green. Like that. I love. I w- uh, honestly, the Mummy from 2017. If it had Tom Green in it, I'm loving that film. As he's just like force feeding a mummy, like fucking little bits and pieces of human flesh, <laughs> singing a song. Yeah, I can imagine that. My bum is on the pyramid. My <laughs> bum is. <laughs> so, would you like the sleigh by play? Go for it. I'm not doing a recapitation because it's just a remake. I was like, I feel like we already know what happened. <laughs> so, the first two characters in the film who are killed are Michael and Jason, as an homage to Halloween and Friday the 13th, part three. Now, the beginning opening stuff it goes through these title credits that are very 3D and it's it's fun. It's your kinetic typography, which is very trendy at the time. It doesn't offend you, me. You can tell that this is their first kind of foray into doing this kind of like horror-esque 3D thing and they're just very in your face right off the bat. Yeah. So for instance, it's a newspaper clipping. So they have the texture of like matted old newspaper, but then the font is 3D to give you that okay. visual effect. It, it's fun. You get the voiceover talking about how basically the same exact origin from the original right where you know evidence that he killed these people blah 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 and he wakes up from a coma and it's a really fun scene so as they're doing the whole scene with the kinetic typography tom apparently confesses i forgot to bleed the lines so you have somebody who's culpable who's at fault very definitively one person who okay. ends up being a titular character. In the other one, the guys who are at fault die instantly. Yeah, there's no retribution. It's it's immediately done. Yeah. So the front page bleeds into the opening shot and you're at the hospital. He Harry Warden is in a coma, comes out of the coma. It's fun. So the nurse comes in and she looks at the IV and then she looks over and sees that the bed is empty. And I was like, you don't look at the bed first. It's well lit, too. It's not like she turns the light. And I was like, this is you have no peripheral vision. But then behind her, you see that Warden had killed the other guy in the room. and He's sitting in the dark behind the like curtain, just covered in blood. And he kills her. And it's dope. Nice. Then you have to me and he's touring the hospital with his deputy and you see just tons of dead people. Like a crazy amount. You see one guy laying face down on a bed with his spine exposed. Oh, and no that's legs. cool. That's totally cool. It's just a bunch of gross stuff. And then you find that the nurse's heart has been removed. On, it's put on the counter and beneath it, there's a message. Happy Valentine's Day. And it's so a great, cheesy. <laughs> there's a great bit where there's like a button to the shot where you have thrill me and he's looking in the mirror and warden had done a bloody heart it, like traced onto the mirror oh okay. and his head is perfectly centered uh, into it. there we it's go it's nice i actually <laughs> i really popped with that i was like that's actually really cool so then it cuts to a mine where they're having the senior party and at this point tom is sulking because he's responsible for this tragedy that happened here at this mine one year ago today Right. Crazy. And so you have this guy, Axel, who's upset with him uh, and petty. But, you know, he Tom wants to make his girlfriend at the time, Sarah, very happy. So for you, those of you keeping track, you had dogma with his girlfriend, Freaky Friday and Stink Face is giving him the stink face. <laughs> stink Face is dating. Come on, Eileen. And 
you end up going into the mine and there's just a bunch of fucking dead people. It's awesome. I like how you just like are constantly running into multiple places with dead people everywhere. Yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> there's a really high body count in the beginning of the film. So a lot of people criticize it for falling off towards the end because it starts off so hard. It's okay. such a high pace. And basically, there's like the dorky guy down in the tunnels. He gets killed. His eye gets popped out. That's what I was talking about. Oh, homage. nice little homage. So they basically escape with Warden being shot a bunch of times and kind of running off. And as the three, the two girls in Stinkface escape the mine, you have Dogma getting stabbed in the shoulder and then he gets saved by the sheriff, right? Okay. Thrill me. So that's all that happens in your opening. And then it's like 10 years later. So a huge amount. The, my favorite kill in probably the entire film is there's a part where he takes a shovel, shoves it into a girl's mouth, hits the back wall like a post, and then takes his pickaxe and punches the handle of the shovel, thus chopping her head in half as her body collapses and the top of her the head slides. The top head stays. Oh, that's so cool. It's good. That's the and best is kill. That, is it like 3D as well? A little bit. There's a lot of 3D hackiness. So okay. much so that the post credits is another 3D. Oh, uh, that's cheap. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, like, so when the guys, when uh, Stinkface and the two girls are driving off, he throws the pickaxe and it hits the windshield and it's like boing, boing, boing in your face. There's a quite a few of those. I was movie. thinking it would be like the actual deaths themselves being in 3D, but maybe it's just like the in-between that's 3D. A lot so, less. Yeah, yeah, it's not the death. It's like the mechanism or the splatter. Or right. Something okay. Like that. So the kill count, according to the newscast, 22 people die in wow. this world. Pretty That's fucking cool. Yeah. So then 10 years later, basically you find out that Dogma has come back to sell his dad's mind because he has been off and away in hiding. You find out that Freaky Friday married Stinkface and they have a kid. You also find out that Stinkface is having some raw dog intercourse sex with Megan Boone, who plays Megan, because she's too dumb to know a character name. Got it. So after he's finished raw dogging her, she gives him the valentines you know be mine for ever and then he's like oh i didn't get you anything and she goes you already did uh i'm pregnant <laughs> and she's like legitimately happy right he's like oh yeah so he, the funny thing about that uh you want to come with me over to these stairs yeah <laughs> have i ever shown you my rare collection of hangers but my wah, wah. <laughs> i don't feel good about that joke but it had to be done so I understand what they're trying to do here. They're trying to give him some sense of motivation so you can have a fake out where he's the killer. Right. It does not work. This whole movie. You're <laughs> Falls like, flat. obviously not him. Yeah. And I could see how his hostile reaction to dogma through the rest of the movie could be visual. Like you're trying to say, oh, it's because he's compensating because he's secretly the killer. and He has these violent tendencies. It just still doesn't work. <laughs> you know, it's Tom. It's always going to be Tom. That's just the way it is. Very early on, you have Tom taking antipsychotic medication. You later find out he was in an institution for the last Does it get years. to the point where you're almost like, okay, let's move this along instead of having the little buildup where they think they're tricking you out into believing one character or the other? 100%. Or, yeah. Okay. It's basically to the point where you're like, there better be a twist because <laughs> this is so redundant and obvious. Okay. And they try. I mean, they really try to give you something else for instance there are times where you know when dogma is alone he'll see the miner and he sees him when he goes back to the mine he sees him in a scene where they're all confronting each other at the very end but he is the only one who sees him they could have done that a little bit more right but you just know it's not 
it doesn't really work. And, you know, this is not just me shitting on the new one because I like the original so much. And it's not just me saying, oh, the twist isn't as good. You think it was just like lazy writing? I, I think that it was a, a means of maintaining costs because you had such crazy, rampant, fun action and like d- dramatic kills and whatnot. And then you just have this kind of bland story, which I kind of looked at like as filler. Like I didn't care about any of these oh, okay. characters. Got it. So much so there's a scene where you find out that Freaky Friday works with Megan Boone, the girl who plays Megan because she's too stupid to get a real name. They're working together in the supermarket. And when they're doing that, you have quote-unquote Harry Warden tracks him down and they end up in this office and he's literally using the one weapon that you'd want to break down a door, a pickaxe, right? And so as he's going through the door, they're trying to break out the, the window and they have to use this key to open the gate and it's just like tedious. After the girl goes through the gate and gets murdered by Harry... Then Freaky Friday hits an alarm button that's been on the wall the entire time. (laughs) And I was like, "Mm." so there's a lot of times where you're like, you're stupid. I don't like you. Plot devices, whatever. They try and pitch you against each other. Right. But really, some of the kills are fun. Instead of Mabel uh, or Viscera or whatever her (laughs) nickname was, Dry Cleaner. Dye Cleaner. Dye Cleaner. There we go. It's like Consuela the Maid, and I was like, this movie's secretly racist. (laughs) And also, like, the only people of color are, like, helping white people, and I was like, look, it ain't that white in Pennsylvania. Oh, I'm surprised I didn't think about this in the first movie. Sorry. No people of color at all. No people of color. Little awkward. At all. (laughs) Yeah. It made me a little uncomfortable trying to say that's, like, one of my favorite movies, but I'm like, hey, you know what? I'm I'm progressive. This movie isn't. I'm separating from the art. So... One of the interesting parts that happens is I come on, Eileen. She's getting raw dogged in a hotel. That's where Dogma ends up staying because apparently the deal to sign the contract gets extended till Monday and nobody told them. So he walks by the window and sees her like, ah, ah, and you can tell instantly that that's what triggers him to become the killer. I don't understand how there's any other imp- like interpretation that you could have. Right. It's not like anybody else is thinking, huh, that's interesting, but I still think it's the other guy. Exactly. <laughs> so then you have Tom the trucker who's like, oh, yeah, here's your money. You're a prostitute. I was filming this the whole time. And she's like, what the fuck? And so she follows him out to the parking lot naked, but with these wedge heels and a gun. And he's like, bitch, I know that gun's not loaded. So she throws the gun and it hits him in the face, right? (laughs) And he's like, what the fuck? That's awesome. Yeah. And so he goes to get in the cab and gets ganked in the head with a pickaxe. And then he ends up chasing her. And you actually get footage from this guy's pervy camera of Harry chasing her inside. He ends up ripping her heart out. There's a lovely dwarf woman who has a cute dog. She gets killed. She gets hit under the chin with a pickaxe and driven into the ceiling. (laughs) That is brutal. It's dark. And you end up seeing a scene where Come On Eileen is in, it looks like the bathtub from Dumb and Dumber, and she's been like disemboweled and her heart's been removed. out. that's neat. When they're going through the footage later, from the camera, you can see Tom walking by. So Stinkface is like, look, it's Dogma. It's him right there. Like, he's evil. And then there's a scene in the mine where because Dogma has a talk with Freaky Friday and she's like, if you cared about these people, you totally wouldn't set a man be. And he's like, well, I care about these people because I want to get back with you even though you have a kid. <laughs> and so 
he goes to the mine and he watches somebody get murdered from a cage that he's in and there's like a latch that's like bent so he can't get out so basically he had like a get out of jail free card because they're like oh well you were captive you couldn't have done anything and when they reveal that he's a killer they show him like wedging it and it's like yeah, no shit. Like that, <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just jaded because I've seen so many horror movies. But again, this isn't a bad movie. Like it's, right. it's just serviceable. It's a very, like I said, of the time. Sorry I'm going through this so fast, but really it's just not as good as yours. I just like hearing you say that. Wait, it's not as good as mine? Oh, thank you. The film. Oh, my rendition is right. obviously better than yours. <laughs> yeah. I say as you're about to edit it, and you're like, let's leave every um and uh and pause. Every time I'm like, we don't on. ever do that. What are you talking about? Professionals. <laughs> Hence, people paying us a plethora of paper currency That's on right. Patreon. Is it paper, though, or is it digital? Paperless paper? <laughs> Why don't we just call them credits? Can we talk about that? It pisses me off that we even use the term dollar. It's not right. backed by the Federal Gold Reserve. Who gives a shit? I'm surprised because all of these like sci-fi movies like in the future, it's credits, right? Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I use Samsung Pay for shit now, and I'm like, oh, it's literally just a credit. I'm not even going to pretend that there's anything but. And it's really funny how, if you think about it, like casinos are just completely like void of all coins whatsoever. They're like, here's your paper voucher yeah. for credits. It's fictional. It's like going to Laser Star when we were kids. <laughs> the stupid tokens that you can't use anywhere else. So Tom ends up going back and. He's going into the mine. He's going to try and confront the miner and he takes some antipsychotic medication and then he gets like chased and he ends up in Stinkface's dad's cabin and he finds the note from Megan Boone, who played a character named Megan because she was too stupid to get an <laughs> actor name. That is the longest nickname I think I've ever heard. I really love it because I keep changing it. And <laughs> I'm the one who's stupid for changing it. And I'm making an insult of a woman I've never met who seems very capable. But this is like where you're trying to get the trick of like, oh, maybe it is Axel because later on Freaky Friday ends up at that cabin because he's like, get away from Tom. He's evil. You need to run. Run to my dad's cabin. And when she gets there, there's like a bunch of the boxes. You find a picture of Tom or of Dogma and Freaky Friday together in that cabin, which makes no sense. And it's you find out it's because Dogma planted it there. Is it like the part where you see like the limitless amount of evidence against a certain person where you're like, yeah, the first time or the first little bit of evidence totally gives it away on who it is. But then they show you more. And then they show you more and you're like, okay, I get it. This is this is what's going on here. To a certain degree, yeah. yeah. And none of it works. It's all like really circumstantial. But then again, like Jansen said, it's not meant to be anything new and inventive. It's just a throwback. Yeah. So I think if you're going into it expecting a fun twist, like that's not what this is. But I feel like you have no choice but to kind of fixate on that because the action drops off so significantly towards the end. Right. And they focus right. so much on the story that doesn't mean anything. So this is the part where they essentially need to trim the fat. Yeah, exactly. This is all fat to be trimmed. Yeah. I, I just couldn't really care less. They end up in the mine. You have Freaky Friday, Stink Face, and Dogma. And Dogma's like, why don't you tell her blah, blah, blah. And then Stink Face is like, why don't you tell her blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, you're trying to pit her against me. And so Dogma's like, well, it's said over Megan Boone, the actress who played Megan, who she was too stupid to get a nickname. <laughs> it's said over her bloody corpse, be mine forever or whatever and she's like well how did you even know she was dead how did you know what it said how did you know what the card said and she's like i got you and then they fight and he gets stabbed and then she has one bullet left and she blows up the mine and he gets flung 
after getting stabbed because the bullet goes through him out hits a tank blows up and there's a collapse and then you see a guy who's just being a volunteer trying to save someone who's like hey buddy are you okay and then this is this is the part of the movie that makes it a trashic to me definitively a trashic he's reaching out to help then you got dogma grabs the pickaxe jams it through the dude's face right and it goes through his eye but you because you see through the lenses of his mask but you see the bloody point of the pickaxe in one of the lenses <laughs> but that eye is bloody because the eye is destroyed so you couldn't see the pickaxe if that's the first person perspective that you're using you're looking way too into this it should have just been blood <laughs> should have just been blood they tried to get too cute they made it unrealistic there are some good kills i really like the kill for this guy ben who's like tom's dad's friend who's the poor small lady that gets the pickaxe and Puts her to the ceiling. That one's fun. Ugh. They do recreate the dryer, like I said. Uh, Tom Atkins, though, has one of the gnarliest deaths I've seen in a film. And you don't even know that he dies, necessarily. So he gets faked out. and He goes and he sees a flashlight and he thinks it's going to be Harry Warden. And he goes and it's just the hat with the lamp. He turns around, gets ganked under the chin with a pickaxe, then gets his jaw ripped out. Oh, that's cool. Falls back over a handrail into some bushes. So he could still be alive. Ooh, I don't know. Like Baron Miss- Underbite from like, Venture Brothers. Missing jaw sounds pretty rough. Imagine like the jaw gone, but the tongue's still there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, he'd be a hit for the ladies, but... Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, you could literally only do necking. You can't even smooch. So... You end up basically Freaky Friday tells Stinkface after Megan Boone, the chick who's too stupid, the blah, blah, you know, the joke that I've beaten into the ground. After she dies, I'm not blind. I knew you were raw dogging her, blah, whatever. And he's like, oh, I got busted. And so the whole like second half, he's like, look, I know that I'm a piece of shit. You can leave me whatever because I'm a piece of shit, but I love you and don't die. And so they like end up hunky-dory, happy forever, love each other. That after- makes no sense. It's annoying. <laughs> and she's like, I love you. And she's like being whisked away in the ambulance. But what's great is at the end, you see a miner who's walking out holding his side. He rips off his mask and you see it's Dogma, Harry Warden, Tom Berenger, whatever you want to call him. And he's alive and he's going off. Here I go again on my own. <laughs> so which movie's better? Oh, 81 for sure. No question. <laughs> Okay. Originally, when we conceived this episode, we talked about doing like equal footing to both. But I told you before we even started recording, eh, it's not. It doesn't hold up. Doesn't hold it's, up. It's you know, it's just of its time. And I could totally see how somebody would like this one more. I just love the original. I love the camp. I love the schlock. I love the effects. The effects on this are fine. It's a lot of There's CG. something about the classic. Yeah, I just love it. I like the tangible gross out like this. So much of it's CG where it's like it's fine. It's nothing bad. There are characters who I liked and I rooted for, but I think really it comes down to if you had a more compelling actor in the role of Stinkface and a better actress for Freaky Friday, I like. I think it would be a better yeah. movie because they would be able to play the subtext of like, you're supposed to look at Stinkface and be like, oh, he wants to kill this bitch right. so he doesn't have to pay child support. He doesn't want to. But the whole time, like, okay, it's definitely not him. <laughs> you know, the guy Jansen, whatever, Dogma Supernatural dude, he's very adequate the whole movie. I was very surprised at his yeah. range. Because I'm like, why have you done 14 seasons of a TV show instead of doing movies? Like, you seem fully capable of doing movies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he definitely has the face for it. Good looking dude. Yeah, he is. I so, like it. I think for me, going back to the original, I'll go ahead and agree with you and say that this is the new classic champion. Yes. Reason for it is because I really appreciate 
the quality of the practical effects oh, within yeah. this film. And that's what's so hard when you were to compare this one with the second is they have the class, they have the practical effects, but then they also have the CGI that almost just ruins it. Exactly. So you can't, you have to either go all in on the CGI or you have to go all in on the practical. There are some films here and there that kind of have a nice combination of the two, but with Tucker and Dale, essentially it's all CGI. I, there's a few things here and there. Maybe the sheriff getting the board plank stabbed into his head yeah. and stuff like that. Them dragging half a body, but that's not exactly that hard to do. Exactly. So I, I'd go ahead and say I'd give it to my Bloody Valentine OG version. And I also, I'm refreshed to do an actual horror film on the show. I mean, we did Candyman and stuff, but we've done a lot of horror this is This is definitely the first horror film, true horror film of this year. Yeah, because I think that uh, Candyman's a little too artistical. I mean, when we did it, I'll concede that that's the first slasher we did, but I think this is the first like genre slasher, like definitive, clear, outright, no nuance to it. Because right. Candyman's so artistic that it really it's kind of hard to look at it as that kind of schlocky. I like my slashers to have a certain degree of schlock. Yeah, that's why absolutely. I wouldn't classically say that something like Psycho is a slasher, even though it involves a knife and a stalker or whatever. You know? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So I'm I'm a huge fan of this film. I thank you all for putting up with me rambling so much for the last half, but I wanted to. Make Make sure I got out the information. If it is your favorite, you totally have my respect. I think it's a totally serviceable movie. I just am a, a fanboy for the original. And that's not just me being an elitist prick who's like, oh, well, the original is always better. <laughs> it's just my personal preference. You know? You're so hip. You're a hipster. Um, actually, have you know. <laughs> but Brian, are there any closing remarks you wanted to make about these two films? No, nah, man. They're both really good in their own regards. But again, the OG version is a little bit better. Absolutely. So if you'd like to reach out to us, there's always slasherspot at gmail.com or virtually anything at at slasherspod. You can always send us recommendations there. We have a form. It's a slasher submissions form. And you could give us the movie recommendation, what kind of merch you want, anything you want to say to us. There's a free comment section, but basically it helps us. So we make sure that we're doing movies that aren't going to alienate you, our audience. And we make sure we give you content that you want. So it justifies us sitting around and watching movies instead of, you know, having cherished memories with our family. Weird. <laughs> I want to thank all of our Patreon patrons. I want to thank everybody who rates and reviews on any platform. If you do leave a review, please bring it to our attention. I would be happy to read it on the show and give you a plug. So that's a great way if you have some stupid thing that you're peddling that I will give you a free ad just for saying nice things about me to somebody who you will never meet. Yeah, buddy. With that being said, Brian, is it time to say goodbye to these folks? That's it. You ain't watching them dying. You ain't really trying. For Brian, for Jim, for Chad, for my wife, for Brian's wife, for everybody, for the little kids prancing around in the Germans, for the people in Canada with the neckerchiefs in 2020 who thought that was going to be a bad idea, didn't age well. My name is Jake, reminding you to go out there and do something that you love. And remember that all work and no power play makes Jack a dull boy. Where did I get the German from? I should have been like, hey, get the H-E double hockey <laughs> this sticks. This is what I'm hicka. talking about. A boot. Sorry. <laughs> so. I'm going to have some poutine. Poutine. <laughs> what I love about social media for bands that have a unique name like Buzzard Cult is that everything is just Buzzard Cult. Buzzard Cult for Bandcamp, for Spotify, for Facebook. This is their song. No current shows posted, but please do follow them. Find their shows. Go listen. Enjoy yourself. 
maybe massage your genitals in public at their shows. I'm not telling you how to live your life. Happy Valentine's Day.